conversation now, Overcoming Drug Addiction. Abner Mariri recently launched his book titled The Door. Abner says, this isn't your usual township boy memoir. This is a gritty, scary, and too real story that could happen to anyone. The Door, an addict's journey, candidly tells the story of a man who is in constant danger. Depravity has unquenchable thirst for repeated hits. He left his wife and children back home, but most shockingly, Abner was also leading an impractical double life of a practicing counselor who himself was in dire need of social intercession. Mr. Abner Mariri, the author of the book, The Door, An Addict's Journey, is on the line this evening. It will not get more raw than this. I don't imagine this has to be censored. But we are talking about something which many may find uncomfortable, so do what you have to do if you are in company that you are concerned, may not quite enjoy. Abner, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. I'm really going to ask very little questions because just take us through an addict's journey. How do you become a husband with a wife, with children, and we get to the point where you are saying... This is a gritty, scary, and too real story that could happen to anyone so close to the grave, as it were, you were with your addiction. Go for it, Abner. Thank you so much for your story. Thanks for your strength. I'm not going to ask too many questions. Just tell your story as you know it. So, uh, good evening, and good evening to your listeners, and thank you for the opportunity to, uh, uh, to just, uh, give a glimpse of my story to the listeners uh, that are listening to SAFM. It's good to be with you and it's good to join you. Uh, practically, uh, my name is uh, Apna Marili, born and bred in the township of Kotema. And yeah, my story, you know, I never thought in my wildest, wildest dreams I'll be discussing addiction and drugs. And uh, in my life, I thought I'll be discussing deals and business and, 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 and stuff like that. But here I am today uh, discussing my life in active addiction. I penned the book uh, called The Door. And for all intents and purposes, it's just a book that seeks to assist somebody out there who's struggling with addiction. Uh, my story is just basically simple. Born and bred uh, in the township of Guatemala, left the country, went to the U.S. Abner, sorry, man. I, I, it's not my will to interrupt you for the sake of. There's feedback yes. from where you are that is coming through into... Air that is perhaps a little rough for broadcast quality purposes. Might I please suggest you move around or do what, from your perspective, is necessary to give us as clean a feed as possible? Can you hear me now? It's somewhat a little horsey, so I'm going to propose that we just take a short ad break. The technical team will engage with you. Could my listeners please, could our listeners, I beg your pardon, not mine, could our listeners please indulge us this very short bit. We're in fact going to take all the ad breaks we need to take now so that we can sort this matter out so that when Mariri returns we can go uninterrupted. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. On the viewpoint. We are back. We are on air. This is the viewpoint. 21.12 is the time. Overcoming drug addiction. The author of the book, The Door, an addict's journey. Mr. Abna Mariri is on the line. He's giving an account of his story. 
and now he's at the point where he's headed to the United States or something to do with the U.S. Abna? Yes, can you hear me now? Is it much Certainly. better? Certainly, absolutely. No, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, effectively, I apologize about that, but effectively, uh, left this country, born and bred in a, a small township of Guatemala in the East End, and decided to uh, born in a very poor family like many South Africans. I was not a privileged kid. I grew up in a family of seven. Uh, my mother worked as a domestic worker, and my father worked for a company called Van Leer. And uh, I always gravitated towards the finer things in life and wanted to do better than my parents. And subsequently, when the opportunity presented itself, I left this country and went overseas uh, to study. I struggled extensively in the U.S. Uh, trying to survive, uh, coming from a very poor family with a domestic mother who was very close to. I was actually literally brought up by my grandmother and decided uh, I wanted to enroll in school. Two years after struggling in the streets of uh, Los Angeles, I found myself uh, getting a scholarship uh, facilitated through by South African and gotten the United uh, Scholarship, United Nations Scholarship and went to a place called UCLA, uh, University of California at Los Angeles, where I graduated. Uh, I was the first one in my family really to graduate from an institution of higher learning. And uh, there's an African saying that says, was best stays best, that you never truly appreciate your country until you go miles away. And for me at the time, having left South Africa and gone from the outside and looked at South Africa from the outside, I began to appreciate South Africa from the outside and wanted to come home. And when the late Madiba, God rest his soul, was uh, released from prison, uh, he came to the United Nations and uh, obviously the floodgates were open and we were able to return home. <clears throat> and after 12, 13 years of having left the country and gone outside, I came home and appreciated just the ground and the soil that I've worked on. Now, I must add a footnote that I'd never touched alcohol, never touched a drink, never touched a cigarette while in the U.S., uh, but I did stay with a family where there was uh, dysfunctionalism, and uh, one of the sons of the place where I stayed uh, extensively, well, quite often locked himself in a bathroom and never understood the reasons why he locked them. I came later came to find out he was actually on heroin, uh, and uh, I paid no attention, came home, obviously, and excited about the prospects and the possibility of the new South Africa and what it was to offer. And I said to myself, you know, I need to fold my sleeves and do the best that I can to make sure that I contribute to the greater good of the country and crisscross the country, uh, working very hard, heightening awareness, and started a company called, uh, with, uh, with a friend called the ICANN Foundation and subsequently moved from ICANN and went to, to start a company called Empower Investments, and uh, as the money was flowing in and uh, I was exposed to, to quite uh, an enormous opportunity of what South Africa at the time was presenting, uh, I started, you know, in, in the Bible, there's something that says pride goes before the fall. And if, instead of coming to church, because I was a very uh, religious person, instead mm. of giving God the, 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 the credit that he deserved, I started to take the credit for myself. Uh, little did I know that there was a storm that was brewing. Uh, it was until uh, my little boy, uh, Sibusiso, uh, literally at the age of 18, uh, he died at university where he was pushed from the sixth floor and he broke uh, a bone and subsequently his head followed. And when I found him, he was in a coma uh, with machines uh, breathing for, for himself. Uh, subsequent to that, my brother, uh, who also 
uh, was quite ill. Two months later, he passed on, and we were very close, very close. My coping mechanism to deal with the with the effects of what was taking place was obviously copious amounts of alcohol, and and I took serious alcohol, and I found myself. Uh, uh, being almost addicted to alcohol, even though my drug of choice was not alcohol. Uh, I had gotten an agent who was marketing my services and would send me from pillar to post across the country, sub-Saharan Africa, even to some Eastern African countries, uh, to go and speak as a motivational speaker, offering services ranging from just a pure motivational speech uh, to all, all the way to strategy sessions and team buildings and, and all that. And uh, when the writing was clearly on the wall that black economic empowerment was the order of the day, I was given an opportunity to buy 50% of a, of a factory that manufactured uh, concrete sleepers. And I subsequently took it, took the bull by its own horns and wanted to lend. Uh, you know, Karl Marx says we need to control the means of production. And uh, I took the bull by its horn because I wanted to know the value chain of what it takes to, man- uh, to, to manufacture a concrete sleeper. Well, uh, to cut long story short, uh, by leaps and bounds, I grew exponentially in terms of business, and uh, and before long, I found myself at the wrong place at the wrong time. I tried something that I should not have tried, and that was crack cocaine. And uh, crack cocaine for me, uh, you know, I always say that uh, any addict uh, who is addicted to any form of drugs today never go into it thinking that they will become an addict. And there I was, so that uh, I became a proper uh, drug addict. And I eventually perfected the art of using drugs. And my drug of choice being crack cocaine. And at some stage, crack cocaine was not sufficient. And I had to try even some some stuff that was stronger or mixing all the drugs uh, that I could find. So it was crack cocaine. It was cocaine. Uh, it was ecstasy and a little bit of cat. And uh, and uh, and alcohol. At the height of my addiction, I mixed everything. Now, for the first two years of my life, you know, I could control everything uh, because uh, you know it would be weekend binges. Uh, but after that, that things started to deteriorate and deteriorate exponentially. Now, when I came back, I, I worked uh, with uh, the late Yuma Sikela, who started an organization called MAPSA that was assisting artists in the entertainment industry to deal with substance abuse. And from MAPSA, I worked with a whole host of other, uh, the likes of the late Tepotsola, and uh, went to various communities and organized uh, events uh, that was heightening awareness and, and trying to help artists and the creative uh, community uh, to rid themselves of uh, addiction. Little did I know that somewhere down the line, later in life, I would find myself in active addiction. And well, I hit it very well. Uh, like I said, the first Abner, let's it. get to Hello? the storm. Let, let's get to the storm. The suspense is killing me now. More importantly, yes. it's chowing up our very precious time. Let's get to the storm. These great things that you have done do not correlate to a storm that is brewing. Sure, you already are on the slippery slope because now you're getting into the hardcore stuff. Take it from there. So now I'm, I'm getting into the hardcore stuff, and uh, I found myself obviously binging, uh, drug binging. And uh, what started like uh, with a weekend binge eventually ended up uh, on a daily uh, 3,000 rands per day uh, of hard drugs, uh, crack cocaine. Uh, I was in, uh, in whole houses. I was in uh, cl- clubs. I was in uh, strip joints. 
uh, you name it, I did it. And uh, eventually I lost control. Was it ever fun doing this? I mean, I, I see where you are. Did you ever at any point think, this is nice, this is great? Or were you already so out of control? In other words... I mean, if you're going to be telling me I was doing drugs, I was getting pissed every day, and I was in whorehouses, somebody else might, for a moment even, fleeting as it may, think that was nice. Did you at any point think that this was nice whilst you were going through this? Well, in the beginning, in the beginning of it all, I thought it was nice. I thought I found something that would numb my pain, uh, that will uh, give me some level of comfort, that will, give, that will make me escape the reality that I was confronting, which was the loss of my son and the loss of my brother. But eventually, it just went pear shape. Uh, it didn't start to be nice anymore. I found myself being dragged into the hole, into the dark hole of addiction. And that meant that I effectively, at every single turn, I, I, was, I was paranoid. I was, I, was, uh, I, was, I was using practically every day. I was lying. I was stealing. You know, I, I didn't realize that I had the strength and the ability to take a microwave and carry two kilometers at two in the morning to go and trade it for drugs. You know, I, I remember one time, you know, it, it got me so bad that eventually, uh, you know, I, I, I practically got arrested and I had to take uh, to talk my way out of that situation. I was paranoid. I was seeing things. I thought people were following me. Uh, I thought, uh, I thought, uh, you know, the, my neighbors were in cahoots to try and get me arrested. I thought there was a, there was a plan of some sort to, 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 to get me to, uh, to go to jail. You know, I was suspicious. I was writing number plates of cars that were following me. I was calling friends in the police force uh, to tell them here are number plates of people who are following me. I was practically, I, th- I thought stars you know, were, were cameras that were, were that were looking into my life. I thought TV lights, you know, the red light on my on my on my TV monitor was actually a camera of people recording my every move. I was extremely paranoid. I was frustrated and, and I caused havoc in my family. I, I caused havoc with my children. I, I stole, I lied, I was full of grandiosity and pride. I was arrogant. I was self centered. You name it, I was it. And uh, and uh, I lost weight. I became emaciated. Uh, it was until uh, the late Hugh Masikela and Level M knocked on my door, and uh, and Brahu uh, basically said, "You need to go to rehab, chief." And uh, and I went to my first recovery center. And while at recovery for three weeks, uh, my roommate was using drugs, and instead of uh, reporting him. I joined him in using drugs, and I found myself uh, using drugs while in rehab. And when I came out, they threw a party in celebration uh, of my of my recovery. Little did they know that I was high as a kite, and I couldn't wait to go and score for some more drugs. And it further deteriorated every single money. I sold toys. I sold everything that I could find in the house. You name it, I did it. And, uh, and, uh, and, and it grew worse and worse and worse. And my marriage was on the rocks. My kids were strange to me. It was just a horrible ordeal. You know, to answer your question, it became something that was no longer nice anymore. I prayed. I fasted. I just wanted to get rid of drugs. Uh, at some stage, I even went into a hotel and took uh, 3,000 rands worth of drugs with some alcohol and, and, uh, and wrote a suicide note with the view of ending it all. I was about to ask, life, could you look at yourself in the mirror at this point? And if so, could you stare in the mirror 
and engage the image that greeted you every time you did that? I did not like what I saw in the mirror. What I saw in the mirror was a shadow of my former self. And uh, I, I cried with great trepidation because I felt what has become of you, what has become of your life. I had a house in Fowies that I built from scratch. I sold for two and a half million. I took all that money, I used it for drugs. I had a house in Wendywood, did the same, shares, and I say it with utmost of humility. I had shares everywhere, cashed them in and sold them. At one stage, my bank account was 0.00. My wife brought it to me and my account said 0.00. I know what it means for the sheriff to walk in and knock on the doors and take your furniture. I know what it means for your children in private school to be taken out and be told that you cannot come back here because you did not pay for school fees. I know what it means for your lights to be switched off and to sit in utter darkness. I know what it means to have nothing and stuff like that. And I brought it into the home. I'm supposed to be a father that protects his children. Instead, I opened a window and brought all this madness into my home. And to answer your question, what I looked in the mirror, I thought I should end it all because I'd reached the end of the rope. I did not like it. I, 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 it, I willingly took drugs, but what drugs did to me left me with no option but to take my life. And I thank God that uh, <clears throat> sanity prevailed and I had a strong support system that said you needed to get help. And eventually I got help. I went to my first recovery. I relapsed, unfortunately, in that recovery. Came back, went to my second rehab, and I relapsed in that second rehab. And it was the final third rehab when I had absolutely nothing. There was nobody in the house. Everything was taken. The cars were taken. Uh, it was, I was left with literally, with, really with one house, literally one house. And, uh, and it was empty. I was paranoid. I was a shadow of my former self. I hated everything that they used to hate about me. Uh, there was a time, uh, Songhezo, that I, I prayed so hard. I knelt and uh, with a pipe on my right hand and crack cocaine on my left hand. And you won't believe what I did. I decided a thought struck me. I decided I'm going to drive all the way to another province to dump these drugs. And hopefully I would have gotten rid of this monster that was haunting me. And I drove hour and a half and dumped those drugs in another province and came back home with a sense of relief and a sense of pride that this thing uh, is gone. Uh, it was only around one o'clock in the morning when, when that, uh, that craving hit and I called every dealer that I could find. I did not have any cash anymore. They were escaping me and every dealer was trying to run away from me. And at 1.30 in the morning or 1.40 in the morning, a thought struck me that, oh, man, I went to another province and threw my drugs away. I can go back and go and find them. And there I was, driving another hour and a half, you know, in the middle of nowhere. With bright lights uh, parked on the side. I was kneeling, searching for every piece of drug. And when I found them, I said, praise God, I found my drugs and did a hit. And I came back and all the lights behind me were all cops that were following me. I was so paranoid until I got home in the wee hours of the morning. But be that as it may, uh, it further went uh, pear-shaped. It was until I went to my attempt, my third attempt, where I spent eight months of my life, literally eight months of my life, and that is where I recovered my life. And uh, Before you uh, tell yeah. us about that recovery, you know, 
What did you say? Excuse me? Be- be- before you tell us about that recovery, here is my appeal. First things first, I apologize to the guest that I simply cannot but dump. The guest that would follow is a segment that we have always had here on The Viewpoint. <clears throat> Hashtag health on Monday. It's a health story. We would cover it with Sanchia Jogesa, optometrist at St. John's IK in Peter Maritzburg. I cannot, please, with your indulgence, allow me just to be incredibly rude and say we're going to have to postpone that conversation. So compelling is Abna Mariri's story. We need to engage this, and we need to engage this so as to be empowered. Here is essentially, with humility and respect, a millionaire who does not need anything other than to stay in his lane, stay the course, and be a model of what young African success can look like, breaking the cycle of poverty, born into a household, one of seven children, domestic worker mother, raised by the grandmother, finds oneself in the United States, Los Angeles, UCLA. If you know anything about getting into United States universities, University of California, Los Angeles campus is as hard as it gets. He got in there on funding from the United Nations. He did his thing and he came back to democratic South Africa to contribute his time, his skill, his muscle, his perspectives and exposures. But there was a thorn in his path that he couldn't and did not avoid. And how true this is for so many who listen. And this story is particularly compelling because it changes my very or many people's very perceptions of drugs and drug users. It's not the guy who's at the corner selling books pretending to be selling fruit that is the drug dealer or the druggie or that person who has a placard at the robots whose life has been turned upside down because he or she never had a chance in the first place. This is somebody who broke all the rules and became what he was only to make it worse than where he in fact started off. Abna Mariri, this is a compelling story that requires, if not demands, your engagement. Please call him, and he's not going to be around for too much longer. We've got 15 minutes left. I do propose we take all the calls that we can take, Lesejo. Our brothers, our sisters, our colleagues, our parents are being decimated by first a dare that lasts for too long and robs one of one's very essence, of one's very soul, of one's very identity, to the point one's mirror doesn't reflect oneself. This is what Abna Mariri has said in his words, albeit I've paraphrased. TJ in KZN calling us this evening. Thank you so much. Let's let's extract these stories. The, the, the profound strength of the human spirit in all of this is what I'm taking out. TJ, your thoughts? I just want to say, hello. Yes, indeed, hello? TJ. We can hear you. Go for it. Yes, yes, I just want to thank God for all of the bad things which had happened to this guy. You see, he had been able to read the God SMS equation, a puzzle, a Twitter, a WhatsApp, a Facebook, and even an Instagram message. You see, as long as it, the God had allowed such a situation to happen to him, at the end of the day, I am going to learn, the nation is going to learn about whatever they get this relationship. I think everybody should take a very same stance. Because I think I found out that every place which has got the potential to 
destroyers could also have potential to build. And those places are not effective and efficiently to build the nation. And it has been found out that by the South African Institute of Health, that there are only 33% of the children who happen to leave both of their parents. And then therefore, which means more than 67 generations. So stories like these are there and got it around them. And then so that these guys will speak it on, speak it on, man, speak it on, my brother. Important and known that you are going to use it positively, and that end of the day, you are going to build this nation, and it has started. May God bless you. Fantastic. Hallelujah. Glory. Hallelujah. TJ in KZN. Much appreciated. Another comment or contribution coming in from the listeners at home, and I expect and hope and pray even that there will be more. Such positivity coming from KZN can certainly be multiplied. Good evening. Great conversation and relevant. Can you ask your guest, Bra Abner, please listen. Can you ask your guest to arm us with knowledge and tattletales of a drug addict? How to spot one? How to set up systems in the home, in the workplace, to be able to deal with vulnerable people at their earliest phases? In other words, intervene, prevent, as opposed to cure. You probably know this journey as well as anybody. It's in the book the door and addict's journey thoughts from the comment and thoughts from this question that i put to you braabna yeah i i as long as i put a book i put a wet book before i put a book called choose life you know because i challenge government that the same intensity with which we are fighting hiv or we fought hiv aids we should put the same intensity to fight uh, drug addiction and alcohol abuse and I decided I'm going to put a workbook, and my workbook was simply uh, written, Choose Life. You know, there are no funny stories about drugs, no funny stories about alcohol, animated, uh, brilliant workbook. And I put it specifically for, for young people. And that workbook, it talks about uh, all sorts of drugs that you can find in the country, how they're taken, the high they give you, the timing, uh, the, the the low that uh, that uh, that they give you uh, the brain effect and the body effect and that's an empowerment tool for young people uh, to say no to drugs so I give them lots of information but as I was going around talking about that workbook I then discovered that I needed to do a workbook and we're in the process of doing that a workbook for parents a workbook for for guardians a workbook for supporters who might not know anything about drugs but they have a loved one who's impacted up, uh, with drugs. And in that workbook, we deal with uh, early detection and what systems to put in place to make sure that if your child or your sibling or your brother, your sister is struggling with addiction, or you can begin to see the early signs and what are those warning signs that we put in uh, to be able to uh, to empower that parent or that guardian uh, to check them out. So we've got a workbook that's coming up we partnered with uh, Project Exodus, uh, which is based in KZN, uh, which is basically an outpatient program. And, and we have developed amazing, amazing, when I say amazing courses, you know, you can go to Project Exodus and you can effectively download an app and that app will guide you in terms of, uh, of, uh, of things that you need to know around addiction and active addiction. So we have systematically and systemically put systems in place to say for the supporter for the parent for the guardian these are things uh, telltale say, signs that tells you that your child might be in trouble things like for example they're sleeping too long hours they're isolating uh, all of a sudden their eating habits uh, is irregular 
they snap at you, uh, things are disappearing in the house. Those are some of the telltale signs that maybe your child or somebody that you are watching over might be in trouble. So we've put something like that to empower uh, the parent to be able to, to check those things out. Let's talk about this recovery. Let's talk about the fact that re- rehab version three, after seven or eight months, you're finally getting a sense of light. I'm not saying you're getting the light because you're still very much in the doldrums. You are still effectively a touches a move away from finding yourself in that vicious spiral again. But you were saying before I interrupted you that after eight months, after the third attempt, there was a change brewing. What was that? Well, effectively, Songhez, I, I, I hate rock bottom. And for different people, rock bottom uh, is something different. For me, rock bottom was clearly my children, uh, was clearly my wife, and was clearly my future. And where I was, uh, you know, World Health Organization says if you're an avid user of drugs, there are three things that are waiting for you. That's jail, institution, and death. I've been to jail. Uh, I've been to institutions. And now death was awaiting me. And I was on a destructive path that was basically leading to death. And I'd hit rock bottom where I was now all alone, by myself, no friends, no family. I'd caused so much havoc. You know, my parents worked so hard to make sure that our family was united and was intact. Now, because of my drug use, I manipulated my family. There were some people who were, some of my siblings who were with me and some who were against me. I caused a fight between them a fight between them and my wife and my family so that the focus and the spotlight was not on me and I will go I, I could go and use even much more it was until I hit rock bottom that I had no other option but to go for recovery and that recovery it had to come from me to say I don't want this life anymore I want a trajectory that sends me into a culture of recovery. And I found a place at a place called South Coast Recovery Center and they asked me how long I used and what my what, what was my drug of choice. And I told them and they simply said, minimum stay for you is five months. Obviously I wanted quick fixes because I was a businessman. I had partners who I had lied to uh, convincingly that there was no problem. Even they saw me lose weight, giving them all kinds of stories. They couldn't put a finger on what the problem was until I disclosed to them that I was suffering from addiction and I wanted to get help. They said, okay, you go, but we have done too much damage to our business that we cannot trust you anymore. But so long as I was happy that I could go to rehab. So I took that opportunity for five months And that five months, after five months staying in rehab, uh, there's something called you get blessed out. And after five months, a collective uh, group of counselors came together and simply said, Abna, you're not ready to leave. You need to stay slightly longer uh, because there are other issues that we need to deal with concerning you and your recovery. 
uh, if you want to leave, you've finished your five months, the door is open, but we're not going to bless you out. And what I wanted was that being blessed out. And I decided to stay an extra two, uh, two and a half months. And after seven and a half months or so, I was blessed out. They came together and said, you are ready to leave. How old are now, you at in, this stage? How old are you? No, at, at, at this stage, I'm in my late 40s, effectively. Um, because I I am now uh, 56, 57 years old, and I'm uh, on the 5th of May this year. I'll be completing 11 years clean time. Okay, so um, yeah, and it was it was very difficult to be in a, a rehab. is not a pleasant place. It's not a hotel. You're with younger people who are struggling with addiction. You are the older person and you look at your life and say, I should not be here. Truth be told, I should be a parent to these children. And here I, here am I, I'm effectively, you know, I would most probably would, would have used in the same room with them with lines and crack and methamphetamine and everything that you can imagine. Uh, with that life goes all kinds of other things. Uh, you know, I talk about it and I talk about it in its rawest form so that I can disempower the stronghold that it has on people. Because with drugs and alcohol comes prostitution, comes a decadent lifestyle of stealing, a decadent lifestyle of continuous lying, a lifestyle of, uh, of manipulating processes. Addicts are very intelligent and they're quick to realize that, no, they are going to go through a jam and they need to come out of the jam and how they come out is to manipulate the process. You know, I borrowed money from people, never returned it. I did all kinds of stuff that, that beggars description and staggers the imagination. And here I am at my age, supposed to be providing shelter to my children uh, who, who now I've opened the window, uh, Songhezo, you know, I brought dealers in my home. You know, they de- deliver drugs in my home, you know, instead of creating a shelter for them. Here I was creating a vulnerable situation for them. You know, my son, who yeah, at the yeah. time was very young, uh, incredibly asthmatic, uh, at some stage was admitted to hospital and I couldn't drum up the energy to go and see him because I was busy using. You know, can I ask this question? Purposes, he could have passed away. And the father would have been absent from that environment. There might even be the perception, rightly or wrongly, probably wrongly, that you were, like many who find themselves in situations that mirror yours, a weak person. Tell me about the myth or otherwise thereof that those who find themselves experimenting or starting off as nothing more than an experiment which many have done and many can be forgiven. But in your case, it became one experiment. Subsequently, another experiment. At some point, it was probably, I don't know, the thrill of the chase. Before long, you were trapped. And you're like, how did I get here so quickly? Personality-wise or character-wise, perhaps, is it something that particular personalities are vulnerable to? Can one say, I'm strong enough, I will never be susceptible to drug abuse? Or does this thing truly have no formula? 
well, my answer to that is that addiction sometimes it can be hereditary, and sometimes you you can be prone to have a different character. There are people who are stronger in their personality that they don't even have to see the door for rehab, you know, and they can on their own. I have met many on their own who just quit drugs and said, you know, I'm done with this, and uh, it will not be, it will not cause the pain of my, it will not be a pain of my existence, and they just walked away. And there are people like us who need a place of safety, even though we have intrinsically uh, come to the realization that we cannot do it on our own and we need to get rid of this monster. We need a place of safety to assist us in consolidating the decision uh, that we are. So uh, drugs affect uh, people differently and they react uh, differently. Call me a weakling. Uh, call me somebody who, you know, my character was susceptible to become a proper junkie, and that's what I became. And unfortunately, it needed a place of safety uh, for me to be in an environment where, you know, I could learn new behaviors, new sets of behaviors to be able to come out of the situation that I found myself in. And rehab was the place that would send me there. And I'm grateful that I went. I'm grateful, you know, Songhezo, there's a there's a small book that I carry, and I know your time is up. Uh, I heard two minutes Certainly in the background. Is, yeah. There's a small there's a small book that I carry, and that small book when I left rehab after seven and a half months, my fellow addicts wrote messages messages of support and say we are rooting for you. Your recovery is going to be strong, and I, I I've, I've carried it for twelve years, almost twelve years. Uh, that book half of the people in that book that were my compatriots, that were my fellow residents in the rehab that I went to, did not make it. They relapsed and committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful that it has not happened to me. I live I live one day at a time. You I'm grateful their every single morning when I get up, I'm grateful that I can see the light of day. I'm you grateful to the roof what over my head. They are not. You are what they could have been you now have to tell the story from the mountaintop of the souls we have lost, those we know and don't know, of the high cost, ultimately, of drug addiction. You speak of your children. You speak of your wife. You speak of the sanctity and dignity of losing something like a home. But we have your voice. We do certainly appreciate it. A message from Sam Gemieni. Peter Maritzburg, good evening. I'm so proud of Abner. I know him many, many years ago. He used to work with Dr. David Mulapo and says, Mummy Gionis Foundation, I can. What a brilliant gentleman. Keep it up, my brother. <coughs> God loves you. That's Samke, and I've met you a couple of times with Masiza. But what belies the truth that I've met you a couple of times is the humility with which you walk, the humility with which you stride, and the humility with which you engage me. Every single time, twice or three times, I would never say you've got such a story to tell, but you do, and I I appreciate those times. I, I have so much more strength now in this conversation than I've had in the previous that I've had with you because I think this one got to me because you are so raw and humble about it. 
Amna, thank you so much, Booty. We appreciate that. There are many who would have participated and haven't. I dare say they appreciate it as much as I do. Thank you. Thank you so much for your story. 